Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com. Soccer editor Avi Creditor joined today by SI senior writer Grant Wall and SI.com's Brian Strauss. Later on, we will be joined by the one, the only Brian McBride, because there is only one Brian McBride. Uh, the former U.S. men's national team forward will be joining us to talk about a lot of things, Copa America on the docket, so definitely stick around for that. Uh, but Brian and Grant, I want to start uh, with the news of the day. We're taping this Thursday, and there's a, a ton of soccer news. It's it's 11 o'clock on the East Coast, and uh, already a day's worth of news. We can start in MLS, where Kai Kamara has been dealt to the New England Revolution. Um, the, the penalty blow-up and... Comments afterward with uh, regard to Federico Higuain have landed a one-way ticket to New England. And Grant, I'll start with you on this. How did we get here? Well, it's just been uh, leading up to this for a while, I think, uh, in the sense of the contract dispute that Kai Kamara had uh, before the season with Columbus, and he did get his contract improved in the end. Uh, This guy's a proven goal scorer in MLS, but uh, clearly uh, his comments after the game the other day when it was a couple of things that happened. One, he had fought over a penalty kick with Federico Higuain, his teammate. Uh, it was 4-1. to one. Uh, Higuain made the penalty, uh, and then they ended up tying 4-4. Four four. And so obviously when you collapse like that, things can get said after a game. And they were said, and, and it was stuff that really stood out. You don't typically see something like this or hear something like this in sports, and clearly it uh, was this symbolic of something larger as well inside this team. And clearly this is something that bothered Greg Berhalter and owner Anthony Precourt in Columbus. Uh, you know, a lot of fans were like, well, was it that bad? You suspend him for a week, and, and that should be that, right? But clearly this is something, uh, based on the tweet from Anthony Precourt, uh, you know, team first in Columbus, that this was a major transgression in their eyes. And uh, so now he's off to New England, which uh, has had more defensive problems this season than offensive problems. But, um, you know, he's an upgrade. This is a proven goal scorer in MLS, a guy who uh, was a finalist for the MVP last season. Yeah. And, and Brian, is it, it just seems like a huge overreaction. Like there has to be more, even if it's the contract dispute in the offseason on top of this, it just seems like there's, there's just more to it you don't just ship a 22 goal scorer out don't get any player in return and and the league's deadline to you know for for trades and, and transactions within the league is is done um i guess what, what do you think about all of this uh first i agree with grant that it's it's a it's a strange as as proven as kai kamara is as popular as he's been in in, in past stops outside locker rooms um strange thing for new england to give up so many assets uh, when they're when they have, I think they're tied for the worst defense in the league right now. Certainly the worst in the Eastern Conference. So uh, teams are carving them apart, and uh, I'm not sure that a uh, that a target striker should be top of their list right now. But anyway, what's done is done. Um, Greg Berhalter is a guy uh, with high ideals. He's a guy that has a very, very, very uh, strong, rigid, and developed sense about what a locker room should be, what a club should be, what a team should be. I think he's a guy who aspires uh, to coach at even higher levels. And this was a crossroads for him. He had to retake control of this locker room, retake control of the team, send 
a, a, a hard hitting message uh, about what was going to be tolerated and what wasn't and what this team was going to look like going forward. And he did it. Uh, he suspended Kamara first straight away after the comments um, and then traded him and then traded a guy who, as Grant said, was a proven goal scorer. Um, so this is a big moment for Greg Berhalter, I think, to sort of show what he's made of uh, and what kind of coach he wants to be going forward and perhaps what his ambitions might be. And and if, uh, you know, some of the things that are trickling through about the assets their crew are getting uh, are real, uh, they'll have money uh, over the summer to go get a guy who can score some goals. Um, so I don't think this is a, a crisis for them. It's a long season. Um, you know, they've got a lot of assets in midfield and, and defense. They're a good team. Uh, the You know, the Eastern Conference champs. Uh, and, and they've now got money to go out and play with and try to find someone. Another fascinating aspect of this for me is this was a very human thing, this outburst that happened this past weekend, but the timing was crazy right before the deadline this week for making any trades or, or new signings. Uh, this, was, this was deadline day for MLS, and so there really, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of other stuff going on basically. You know, basically not any other stuff going on. But this is a very big deal. But if this had happened a week later, it would be a much different situation and they wouldn't be able to move Kai Kamara. Yeah, their hands would have been tied. What's uh, what's ironic is that Kamara's replacement in the lineup could be another Kamara, uh, Ola Kamara at, at Columbus. Uh, look, we'll see uh, We'll see how Columbus reacts to this. Uh, Brian, I think you're right in that this is Greg Berhalter putting his, his foot down. And this is one of those things where teams you know can kind of rally and, and come together. Uh, you can be sure that Federico Higuain uh, is is going to want to go out and perform at his all-star level now that that it's it's been made clear that you don't cross the team star player, uh, even if you are another star player. Um, fascinating times. We don't usually see a lot of action, trade deadline action in MLS. This was this was welcome. About time. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's, let's go bigger on, on the North American stage now, Grant, uh, CONCACAF elected a new president. Um, it's not the sexiest topic. I think a lot of people see CONCACAF president and assume he'll be in handcuffs in six months, but, uh, Canada's Victor Montaliani is the new president of CONCACAF. Why don't you tell us a little bit about him and and what this means in, in the grand scheme? Well, he's a guy who's been involved in the insurance business in Canada. He is the president of the CSA. He's pretty well respected and for having taken what's been a notoriously infighting federation up in Canada and actually getting some things done. Uh, he was part of the group that hosted a successful Women's World Cup, aside from the turf issue. Um, and you know he's thought of pretty well. Uh, regionally. And he's not a crook, according to most people. At least he hasn't been charged with anything. I guess you knock on wood when you say something like that. But he doesn't have the highest bar here. His three predecessors, Jack Warner, Alfredo Haubert, and uh, Jeff Webb, all are indicted. Uh, And yet he does have a higher bar in the sense that he's got to now try and convince people that CONCACAF is a legit organization when so many of his predecessors have shown it to be an illegitimate organization. So um, the other big takeaway for me is this is less about Canada and Victor Montaliani than it is about he's Sunil Gulati's guy. And Sunil Gulati is by far, and it's not close, the most powerful figure in this part of the world. He's on the FIFA Council, the renamed executive committee. Uh, he had a huge role in getting Johnny Infantino elected president of FIFA that uh, we documented pretty well in our Fox broadcast of how Sunil Gulati was working the room on election day in Zurich. And 
and he's going to push really hard to get the World Cup to come to the U.S. in 2026. I think the chances are very good that that will happen. Uh, and so Montaliani winning is a big win for U.S. soccer as well, because it's always been Caribbean guys who've been presidents of CONCACAF, except for Havit, who was Central American, but that was after all the chaos. And uh, the Caribbean bloc, because they have so many votes, has... Uh, had all the control for so many years, and that's changed now. So I think you're going to see better decisions made for soccer interests uh, and not just sort of political interests like you would see when the Caribbean guys were running things. Interesting indeed. It's fascinating times for CONCACAF. And like you said, this they need to show that they can just get out from this cloud of of just corruption and, and deceit and bribery. And it's a big summer too with the Copa America coming around. It's it's a chance to kind of turn the page and put on a great event and hopefully it's not tied to anything. Well, I would add too that the Caribbean candidate, the president of the Caribbean Football Union was not allowed to compete in the election after he failed the integrity check and he's still in charge of the CFU. So, um, you know, business as usual in the Caribbean, I think. <laughs> Uh, I remember your piece um, when you were on the Con- on the FIFA president uh, campaign trail when you were in the Caribbean, and they're cracking jokes about <laughs> about duffel bags full of money just at this meeting with with the future president of of FIFA just sitting there. It's it's amazing. It was one of my favorite moments of the year in Antigua, where I don't know if they knew a journalist was in the room and. <laughs> People were making jokes. I think Prince Ali said, you know, I would have a gift for you, but you know, the whole ethics investigation. And then somebody in the room said, I heard that. And, <laughs> and you know, everyone laughed and that was Caribbean soccer. Uh, all right, Brian, let's let's hop over the pond. Uh, some some big coaching news. Um, first at, at Tottenham, where Mauricio Pochettino is going to stay. He signed a new deal through 2021. This is a mid-talk uh, that some big clubs were after him, rightfully so, after the season that Tottenham has had. I guess, what, what do you make of, of this? Uh, are you happy to see a, a manager who's had success at a club like Tottenham just kind of ride it out with this club? Yeah, absolutely, especially as just someone who's more of a fan of the Premier League. I mean, I don't, I don't really cover it that much. So so this season has been awesome uh, because I can wake up in the on, you know, on Saturday mornings and, and watch competitive games uh, and in a competitive league top to bottom. Uh, where maybe, you know, maybe the top two or three aren't as good as Spain's top two or three. But as we've seen this season on any given Saturday or Sunday, uh, this league is the most, you know, competitive and entertaining and dynamic in the world. And the last thing you want to see is have that ruined. And so my big sort of hope for the offseason was that Leicester, uh, with players now on, you know, the cusp of everyone's lips, you know, Mares and Conte and Vardy, that they can keep this team together that the price for success isn't isn't breaking up and having to sell your big names uh, so that the status quo remains. Um, the same goes for for Tottenham and Pochettino. You know, he had lunch with Alex Ferguson and maybe they were just, you know, maybe Pochettino was just looking for wine recommendations. But, you know, the last thing you want to see is for one good season at, at a club that isn't part of the the elite blue bloods, uh, you know, to for him to be poached by uh by one of the traditional powers. So I'm glad to see him stay at Tottenham. I hope Leicester keeps their team together. And I think it's the best thing for the league in the long run uh, to have have opportunity and and success and hope uh, sort of trickle down to more teams. So I'm glad to see it. Absolutely. It certainly looks like there's a core in place for Tottenham to, to just kind of not make this a one-year wonder. They have so many young players, so many young English players, and I think that's making them a very popular pick going forward. No matter how much money the Manchester Uniteds and cities spend, 
uh, next season and, and Chelsea and Arsenal and, and down the line. On the other end of the coaching spectrum, Grant, Roberto Martinez, officially out at Everton. Uh, not all that surprising, considering all of the, the reports that have been building and how listless they've looked. Joel Robles looked like he was trying to let Sunderland <laughs> score yesterday, uh, just <laughs> actively moving away from a free kick and then parrying a save right to the doorstep. Um, whether that's an indictment on Martinez or, or just he's not a very good goalkeeper, I, I don't know. But what do you think about this are are you surprised did you think he would get another season to ride it out i thought he might but i'm not surprised that he isn't i guess is the best way to put it uh you have a, a new owner there uh at everton so changes often come in that situation and i, I the vibe you were getting from everton the last six seven eight weeks has been not just that they've been losing but that it looked really bad like that game against Sunderland looked bad. It wasn't the only situation, but it looked like guys weren't trying 100%. Anytime you're sort of asking yourself, are there players on this team that are tanking on purpose to try and get their coach fired? Um, and I was. I was asking that question. I, I don't think it's just that these guys are bad. I mean, like, uh, but defensively, they were a disaster all year and not doing well at home really hurt Everton as well. Uh, I like Roberto Martinez a lot. I think he will go on elsewhere and uh, and be potentially a very good coach. I don't think he's like forgotten how to coach. And I think he's also got a chance, if he wants it, and that's the big question, to come to the United States because he's going to be involved again in ESPN's coverage of the Euro. Uh, he's terrific on television. I think people will see him and listen to him again and go, oh, that guy knows what he's talking about. You know, Maybe it's just a bad situation at Everton. Um, and I look around MLS, and this is maybe uh, kind of like a Owen Coyle plus type situation. Now, Owen Coyle hasn't exactly set the world on fire since going to Houston, but you're talking about a guy who, you know, if I'm Atlanta, maybe uh, I consider talking to Roberto Martinez, uh, and maybe even other jobs in MLS. You know, this is not a league where defense is necessarily the biggest concern or at least people want to get an exciting coach and and a, a guy who whose teams you know are going to be attack minded and and that's definitely a priority in MLS so i'm curious to see if there's any interest in roberto martinez over here that would be interesting also jason derulo frequently tours the united states so roberto martinez would have <laughs> his, his quota of concerts to go to uh that remains not the worst thing that's happened this year i know he's on the way out but Oh, that man. was the best thing that's happened. Well, Seeing Roberta in concert, you know, that, and he admitted it was him. I like that he. Actually, I, I do like that he admitted that that those were not his best moves. He has more, <laughs> so maybe, maybe, just maybe, we'll get a chance to see them. But it appears it won't happen as Everton manager. Um, let's let's go back to to MLS a little bit. We're talking about big names in MLS, big names that have come from England to MLS. Um, Frank Lampard, Brian, this situation. Um, is not getting better. It just it, we, we have no idea when he's going to be taking the field. He's effectively stealing money at this point. Uh, is this the worst signing that the league has ever had? And it's had some pretty bad ones. Uh, it's on its way there, but I'm reluctant to sort of put that stamp on it now, only because it reminds me of Beckham's first year, year and a half. A lot of injuries. I mean, even even Galaxy fans were were hanging banners calling him a fraud and things like that. And the, you know the team was struggling, and he did, just didn't seem to fit in. He was you know flying back to back to England for 
you know, dumb reasons. I can't remember charity games or something like that. I'm sorry. Charity's not dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't write me. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the story's not entirely over for, for, for Frank. So, but it's on its way there. And obviously you've got legends like, uh, Lothar Mateus and Danielson and obviously Rafa Marquez was just a circus and a disaster. Um, so although it did put the Red Bulls off of DPs that don't fit in. So maybe in the long run, it was a good thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's on its way there and NYCFC is a mess. And, and, you know, Christ, Jason Christ was obviously, uh, not the guy who was going to be able to carry weight in a locker room with the likes of Pirlo and Lampard and Villa. And they brought in Frank, uh, they brought in Patrick Vieira because they think he could do that. And they've won a, a couple games now, so so maybe things are starting to turn around from them, but this still doesn't look like a club overall that's making much progress. One thing I would say that's different about the Lampard situation compared to some of the other big busts in league history is I think he really sabotaged NYCFC's season last year on the field by the decision not to come until the summer. And I can't really say that as much about some of these other busts. You know, I don't, you know, Lothar Mateus was bad. Rafa Marquez was really bad. But I don't know if they sabotaged an entire season. And um, so that's a pretty strong statement about Lampard and, and kind of his influence from the start with NYCFC. So um, like Brian said, uh, it's a little like Beckham's situation, maybe the first year, year and a half. Now, the big difference is when Beckham signed his contract, that was for five years, whereas Lampard's out at the end of this season. That's the end of his contract. And so it is fair to ask, you know, is it possible for them to buy him out in the summer and potentially bring someone else in? Uh, if that is possible, just don't bring Yaya Ture over here. Hot takes. <laughs> Hot takes on the Planet <laughs> Football podcast. Uh, I'll say this. I live in Manhattan, walking around the Upper West Side the other night with my dog, and I come across a bus stop where there's an ad for NYCFC, and the three players um, on on the ad, as you would expect, Andrea Pirlo, David Villa, and Ronald Matarita. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, where is Lampard? It it just seems like he's not part of it at all. The and and. You know, they're just kind of trying to sweep this I, aside quickly. And maybe, look, may, if he's hurt and he comes back and he plays well and they make the playoffs, then this conversation's all for naught. There's just not a single indication that we've gotten in the last year, year and a half that that's ever going to happen. I wonder if there's a company that that you can hire to quickly Photoshop players out of ads, you know, because we had all that fun with the Copa America, you know, and every time a player would drop out or come in, they would, you know, oh, we got to get rid of this guy, Neymar, whatever. And, and maybe NYCFC is using them as well. I think we just discovered a new startup. I also think it's a tragedy <laughs> that Tommy Mack is not in that ad yeah. and Matarita is. What's going on there? I don't know. Free Tommy Mack. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Well, we will uh, transition seamlessly uh, from throwing one player under the bus to talking about uh, West Ham and Manchester United's bus incident. Uh, but first, we're going to take a quick break and then come right back. That's got to go in the Segway Hall of Fame. (laughs) With the NBA playoffs in high gear, SI's own Splash Brothers, Andrew Sharp and Ben Golliver, are doing multiple shows a week on Open Floor, SI's NBA podcast. These guys watch unhealthy amounts of basketball and lay out all the best drama and storylines. That's Open Floor, SI's NBA podcast. Find it on your podcast client of choice, including iTunes, Stitcher, 
Google Play Music, and always at si.com slash podcasts. All right, welcome back. Uh, West Ham played its last game at Upton Park uh, midweek against Manchester United, a dramatic game, a very entertaining game, and, and good on West Ham that they were able to win before moving to the Olympic Stadium. Before the game, though, Manchester United's bus was blocked by West Ham fans. They threw bottles at it. Uh, Jesse Lingard was uh, gracious enough to post his Snapchat story of what it looked like inside the bus, uh, which the players didn't seem all too disturbed or or worried about what was going on. But in any event, uh, it got us to thinking, what are some of the most harrowing experiences that you guys have had on buses going to games? Because everyone has stories. We posted a video and I'm sure this is, is going to be overlapping with what, what uh, you guys talk about. Uh, but in World Cup 2014, in the flood on the way to, to the game against Germany, uh, was that Recife, right? Yeah. Um, just, it, it doesn't always go smoothly on the way to the stadium, Grant. So what do you got? Actually, that was probably the craziest bus ride I've ever had to a stadium. You, you had situations where family members of the U.S. players were unable to get to the stadium to watch this game because the flooding was so bad and there was no drainage in the entire city of Recife. It was an amazing contrast, actually, to the very first world stadium where the drainage was perfect and the very third world city where it was not and how ordinary Brazilians were kind of getting screwed. Um, But an amazing video, I remember, that Lee Finer shot and we posted uh, that day about what it was like just trying to get through the city and get to the game. Um, aside from getting held up at gunpoint in 09 in Honduras, I wasn't on the way to the game necessarily, so maybe that doesn't count. Um, you know, I would say being in Mexico for a USA-Mexico World Cup qualifier, uh, they allow the media bus to get behind the U.S. team bus, and you get a police escort to the stadium. But it doesn't mean it's the easiest trip And in fact, it's crazy because they think the media is part of the team because they see it's the U.S. team bus. And all these people, there's tons of people by the side of the road, are giving you every finger and every other sort of display of negative feelings as you make your way to the stadium. And it does make you feel a little bit like you're you're with the team and you get a a little bit of a sense of what it's like uh, for the players to experience that. That was a very uh, polite way at, at putting what I'm sure are <laughs> words that we cannot say on this podcast. Uh, Brian, what, what about you? Any, any experiences stand out uh, from your time covering the sport? I quickly want to add to, to Grant's story about our bus ride in Recife that, that Lee Finer and, and Jack and, and all of the other people that didn't have match credentials, you know, the video people for Sports Illustrated, for Fox, for Yahoo, there were there were a bunch of other people. All of them were unable to get into the game because the bus that was coming with their passes and was also bringing U.S. Soccer Federation family and officials were stuck was stuck in the floods. So our colleagues sat on our bus in the parking lot of the stadium for eight hours and never got into the stadium and just sat in the bus in the rain for eight hours while we were inside covering the match. So. Just throwing that out there. That's insane. <laughs> it's not. It's not all glamour. Um, I've never had a bus incident. I've been involved in a couple crushes at stadiums. Uh, just there as a fan. I. I, I was. I was uh, one in Lisbon. Um, one in uh, Istanbul. Uh, going to a Galatasaray game and sort of that feeling you get when when there's a crush of people 
and you you feel your feet sort of lifting up off the ground and you sort of don't have control of where your body goes um, and you feel sort of the compression against you, uh, that's, that's pretty intense. Um, that's a pretty vivid thing to experience. Um, I was at a game in Copenhagen where a fan was killed uh, and they emptied out the stadium like midway through the second half and I didn't speak Danish, so I had no idea what was happening, but found out the next day that a fan had died at the game. Um, and uh, and I, yes, had experiences at Azteca, things thrown, uh, it, intimidation sent. Um, but yeah, not, nothing going to or from. I mean, I guess the toughest thing going from Avi was getting locked in at, uh, at in College Park after trying to cover a Maryland game. Um, to be honest, your alma mean mater. Maybe streets of College Park. Hey, those Terps don't mess around, man. No, no. Fear Final the... whistle blows and they lock the gates. And if you're trying to write a story and you're in their little press box, you're climbing a fence to get out of there. So, uh, Fear the turtle security guards, baby. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's my best story. I don't know. That's what's up. My, uh, I obviously was not on this bus, but uh, the, the scene in Costa Rica after the Snow Classico when the U.S. went there and the U.S. was met with the eggs being thrown at them and, and Costa Rica fans chanting like USA, no fair play. thought uh, that was awesome. That made Olbermann show. It was a huge segment. Uh, that was great. Uh, I want to bring in our, our producer, Alex Abnos, because you have experienced something uh, pretty unique as well in the Netherlands. Uh, yeah. So like the, the main thing, uh, like granted, Brian, I was also, uh, I also dealt with the flood in Recife and that like everybody said was amazing. Uh, I my other experience with a bus was when I was covering an AZ Alkmaar versus PSV game at the old Alkmaarderhut before they built their new stadium. Uh, Demarcus Beasley was playing for PSV at the time, which is why I was covering the game. And uh, somehow leaving the game, I got uh, funneled onto a bus that was filled uh, with PSV fans. And I guess that was known throughout the people that uh, among the people that were on the sides of the bus. And they were throwing all sorts of things, including a brick, uh, which uh, landed on the window uh, of the bus, like right next to where I was standing, which was a shatterproof window. But the window did definitely like kind of explode into a bunch of cracks right next to me. And that was cool. (laughs) Cool that it didn't actually (laughs) penetrate the bus. I would add also to just the language of the reporting from England about the Manchester United bus having stuff thrown at it and, and windows broken. The idea of calling it a coach always confuses me still, that calling a bus a coach over there, because I was seeing these original reports and thinking that things, bottles are being thrown at Louis van Hall. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that too, uh, which you can't rule out, honestly, at this point with the season that they've had. Uh, thankfully, nobody seems to have been hurt. West Ham pledges that it's going to ban every fan involved for life. Um, good luck. I wish uh, I wish I remember who sent the tweet or the exact wording of it, but I remember reading something uh, along the lines of that the execution of Anne Boleyn was less a public spectacle than the final game at the Boleyn ground or something like that. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> well, again, fortunately, we can laugh about it, and uh, and and it's good that that nobody was was hurt uh, at all, and the game went on. And that is that for bus conversation on the Planet Football Podcast. I think we have we've. Uh, gotten to the end of our rope on that uh we're going to take another quick break but then when we come back one of the greatest forwards in u.s men's soccer history brian mcbride this week on the si media podcast richard deitch welcomes the new voice of monday night football sean mcdonough be sure to check out previous episodes including anand verk the first muslim anchor at espn and draft expert lewis riddick 
That's the SI Media Podcast hosted by Richard Deitch. Find it at si.com slash podcasts or your favorite podcast app of choice, including iTunes, Stitcher, and now Google Play Music. We've got one of my favorite people in soccer as a guest today. He is a three-time U.S. World Cup team member and had a terrific 17-year pro club career in Germany, England, and the United States. He's doing a lot of stuff for ESPN these days. He's Brian McBride. Thanks for joining me, Brian. Thanks, Grant. I have a feeling you say that's about everybody on the podcast. Is that true? It is not true. I, I wouldn't say that someone... Oh, God. It, the, I wouldn't say that someone was one of my least favorite people in uh, in U.S. soccer. I, I don't have too many people on that list, thankfully. Um, but I think that would be some good news if you ever did that. that would be some good news. <laughs> but it's uh, newsworthy. That's <laughs> but appreciate you joining the show. Uh, lots to talk about news-wise these days. But since you're a former member of the Columbus Crew, I want to start with the Kai Kamara trade to New England. Uh, for a significant amount of allocation money, what do you make of the trade and the controversial disputed penalty kick circumstances that led to it? Yeah, I think the circumstances, yeah, you know, I, I think all parties, well, not all parties, but certainly Greg has, has come out and said that, you know, it was, he'll take complete uh, blame for it. And uh, you can understand why he would do that. I think he was trying to keep things inside. Certainly, I think the two players, when you get down into it, uh, Kai and Iguain could certainly handle it better, at least come up with a solution quicker. Um, but when it comes down to, to, of course, today's trade, I think that has a lot more grant to do with um, the lack of remorse and the lack of, um, you know, in, understanding from Kai to know that this sort of thing should always stay in house. Mm -hmm. Did he violate locker room protocol in a sense? You know, yeah, I think there's certainly some violations. And again, you've seen stuff like this before, right? I know you have. And in the end, normally the coach will pull either both players in or one player in and then the other player in. And really, you sort of get through to an understanding. To me, from, uh, again, the outside looking in, with all the quotes that came out even after um, the game, uh, the next day, and then even into the beginning of this week, it never seemed like Kai thought he did anything wrong. I understand. Listen, Higuain, you know, the way the things went, he probably could have just stepped aside because he was going to step aside if, it, if Ethan Finley was going to take it. So that part, you understand why I would be sort of agreed, wait, you're going to let Ethan Finley take it only because he was fouled, but I'm on a, a hat-trick. Um, but since Ethan's not taking it, you're going to take it. Now that's something that can usually be handled very quickly. It wasn't, of course, washed that across uh, and off the board. And the, the quotes keep coming back, and I think you know when you when you call out a teammate, it, it can only bring bad things if you don't come back and say, you know what, I'm sorry, uh, it was wrong for me to do it. You can say it publicly, if publicly, it, and that way you, the whole group knows that that you're together. 
Mm-hmm. You know, with the, the comments that he said afterwards that he would see it again, it just shows to me that he thinks it's more about himself. And unfortunately, in these situations, you know, they've got buddies in the locker room. So, you know, one of the guys that's friends with Iguain or on Iguain's side is always going to be like, well, you know, I can't believe he's trying to do that to you. And then, of course, you're going to have Kai's group you know, saying the opposite. And that, that, those are the things that can be uh, really bad in the locker room and tear a team apart. And Greg, I think, sussed it out and, and knew he needed to make a change. That's the way I see it, at least. Okay, interesting. Um, I wanted to ask you about DeAndre Yedlin. He really has finished up well sure. in his loan for Sunderland. He's been a regular starter, helped the club stay up in the Premier League for next season. What do you think comes next for Yedlin? Do you think Spurs will want him back next season? What's in his best interest to grow as a player? Well, I, I would hope, especially after you've seen the comments from uh, from Big Sam, and how much he's seen growth in him uh, at Sunderland, that they could work something out that he could permanently move up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what um, I don't know what is going on in, in either one's head, but DeAndre Yedlin must see that he's he's his awareness positionally certainly seemed you know a lot better, uh, multiple times better than it was even uh, six months ago, and that's what you're looking for in a player like that, especially you know the the rawness he has as far as the pace and um, you know his ability to to, to make certain plays, there was better qualities, weren't there, Grant? I mean, he started crossing the ball better. Uh, he, he had less and less uh, passes played in between him and the, the right center back, mm-hmm. which is a huge, huge positional thing uh, for an outside back. Wanted to switch to the U.S. team as we head into Copa America. How far do you think this U.S. team can go in this tournament? That makes sense to me. I mean, I've had people ask me, is Jurgen Klinsmann's job in any danger if the U.S. doesn't get out of its group? You know, my sense is no, that he would never lose his job for anything not connected to the World Cup. I'd agree with you, Grant. Uh, I, don't, I don't see that being uh, a big issue. I've, I, thankfully, I see this as a great opportunity for the U.S. to, to really build those foundations mm-hmm. that we were just talking about. So... 
No, certainly there's going to be a lot of scrutiny if we don't, but I don't see that being a game changer. Yeah. A uh, couple more really quick questions for you. How excited should we be about Christian Pulisic, the, the promising 17-year-old American with Dortmund? Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I've had a chance to, to watch him play. I saw his first game when he uh, started for Dortmund, and basically, you know, he, he was starting for Royce, Marco Royce. Yeah. Uh, that's a big thing in the world. And I'll be honest with you, when I first saw him, he seemed nervous. It seemed like his first touch was off in that first game. You could see he, he definitely was aware of uh, the, the magnitude of it. But ever since then, he's just grown into that understanding. And those adaptations, the quick adaptations that he's made, uh, tells me that there's a lot there. And now that he's made those adaptations, you see the quality that he has. The understanding of the game for a 17-year-old is is phenomenal. And you know, certainly technically, he, he's, uh, he's there with um, people that should be a part of the national team. Very promising player, Pulisic. Uh, lastly, you're representing the U.S. Soccer Foundation's Passback Program with Allstate, which collects and redistributes soccer equipment to children in underserved communities where children love the sport. How does the program work? Yeah, it's a great program. It's something, you know, the U.S. Soccer Foundation has been doing for a while, but Allstate's been a big supporter of, of U.S. soccer. Uh, of course, been with Major League Soccer for six years. And I've been able to, to be a part of uh, their initiatives for the, for the past three years. And uh, the past two years before this, it was more of a, you know, giving back to a local club in a community that, that basically uh, was tied into uh, either a U.S. soccer game or an MLS game. And um, with the U.S. Soccer Foundation's uh, passback program, it's a way that Allstate can give back even more. So we're partnering, uh, asking uh, soccer fans, people to come out. We're in Dallas this Saturday at Trinity Park from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m and to come and donate their, their gently used or brand new soccer equipment for you know, underserved uh, communities that not, don't necessarily have the opportunity to have some of these um, uh, either soccer balls or shoes or uh, even, even uniforms. Sounds like a great program, Brian. Uh, U.S. Soccer Foundation to, and Allstate doing some good work there. Thanks, as always, for, for talking uh, and joining us on the Planet Football Podcast. Thanks, Brent. Look forward to next time. Here. All right. Thank you so much to Brian McBride for the time. That was fantastic. Uh, I want to thank Grant Wall and Brian Strauss for joining us as always. Our producer is Alex Abnos. If you have not gotten a chance yet, please do go to our Facebook page. It is new and glorious. Uh, Sports Illustrated Planet Football uh, search for that. It'll pop right up. We've got a lot uh, already there and a lot planned for the next next few weeks and next couple months as Copa America and the Euros are right around the corner. So definitely make sure to like Sports Illustrated Planet Football. Uh, until next week, I'm Avi Creditor. We will talk to you again on the Planet Football Podcast.
Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.